0: Welcome to Choice Classic Radio, where we bring to you the greatest old-time radio shows. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and thank you for donating at choiceclassicradio.com. The makers of Campbell Soup present... The Campbell Playhouse. Orson Welles, producer...
1: Good evening. This is Orson Welles. We bring you tonight a story by one of America's most successful writers in recent years, Kenneth Roberts. The title, Rabble in Arms, our guest, Miss Frances D., one of the real actresses among Hollywood's younger stars and an old friend of yours in the Campbell Playhouse. But before Rabble in
0: Arms, here's Ernest Chapel with some new thoughts on an old kitchen custom.
1: Chapel.
0: Thank you, Orson Wells. And ladies and gentlemen, that kitchen custom is an old one, one of the oldest on record. It's the making and the enjoying of vegetable soup. Certainly, many, many years before cookbooks were ever heard of, women were taking good meat and vegetables and combining them in a hearty, substantial soup. And so, in offering their vegetable soup, Campbell's have always recognized the friendly competition of the home soup kettle. They've known that time-saving and trouble-saving in themselves, though important, would never alone sell Campbell's vegetable soup to conscientious wives and mothers. They've known that to have Campbell's vegetable soup accepted at the family table year in and year out by good home cooks, it must compare in fine flavor and good nourishment with the best vegetable soup ever made at home. If you've tried it, then you know that's the kind of vegetable soup Campbell's makes. Your first taste tells you they've taken fine beef and simmered it down till the stock is rich and rugged and full-flavored. And in this beef stock, you enjoy the flavor of the 15 different garden vegetables Campbell's use. With a vegetable soup as fine and as wholesome as this waiting at the grocer's, it's no wonder that women everywhere have given up making vegetable soup and turned to Campbell's. If you haven't tried it, won't you do so? If you will, I'm convinced that in your home, too, you'll say... Campbell's is the vegetable soup for us. And now, Orson Welles.
1: In June 1778, Benedict Arnold was placed by General Washington in command of Philadelphia. Early in February of the next year, the Executive Council of Pennsylvania, presided over by Joseph Reed, one of Arnold's most persistent enemies, presented to Congress eight charges of misconduct against him. In April, Congress, through throwing out four charges, referred the four to a court-martial. And despite Arnold's demand for a speedy trial, it was December before the court was convened. It was probably during this period of vexatious delay that Arnold, always sensitive and now incited by a keen sense of injustice, entered into a secret correspondence with Sir Henry Clinton with a view of joining the British service. On January 26th, the court, before which Arnold had ably argued his own case rendered its verdict, practically acquitting him of all intentional wrong, but directing Washington to reprimand him for two trivial offenses. Arnold, who had expected absolute acquittal, was inflamed with a burning anger that even Washington's kindly reprimand couched almost in words of praise could not subdue. It was then apparently that he first conceived the plan of betraying some important post to the British interests. With this in view, he sought and obtained from Washington... Command of West Point, the key to the Hudson Valley. Arnold's offers now became more explicit. And in order to perfect the details of the plot, Clinton's adjutant general, Major John Andre, met him near Stony Point on the night of September. On the 23rd, while returning by land, Andre, with incriminating papers, was captured. And the officer, to whom he was entrusted, unsuspectingly sent information of his capture to Arnold, who was thus enabled to escape to the British lines. Ladies and gentlemen, I have read to you from the Encyclopedia Britannica on the subject of the notorious and celebrated treachery of Benedict Arnold. What follows tonight is a defense of his character and of his career before that treachery. Rabble in Arms by Kenneth Roberts with our guest star, Miss Frances (laughs) D. Travel in Arms is a story of the Revolution, of which the author Kenneth Roberts tells us on his opening page that this is no book for those who swear by old wives' fables, holding all Americans brave, all Englishmen honorable, and all Frenchmen gallant. It cannot please such innocents as are convinced that men in public office always set the nation's welfare above their own, nor those that think all soldiers patriots. It will disappoint the credulous who cherish the delusion that patriotism burns high in every breast in the hour of a country's peril. Those who crave such poppycock must turn to fairy tales for undeveloped minds. But we are obliged tonight to deal with facts and write what we conceive to be the truth.
2: America? Good heavens, why, America's a wilderness. If you go there, you'll be eaten by lions or chased by savages. It isn't a wilderness at all. Jack Burgoyne showed it to me on the map. Why, it's like a, a regatta on the Thames. You go to Quebec, and then you come to the lakes beautiful lakes. And then to the Hudson River. And before you know it, you're in New York. Aren't you, Lord Jermaine? Mm, quite right, my
1: dear. Quite right. It's safe as walking in High Park. There, you see. What about the rebels? The rebels? though they won't bother you. They run like sheep when they see our regulars. I'm sending a 1,000 of them over next week under Burgoyne, 2,000 Hessians, 5,000 Indians recruited in Canada. That'll put them in their places. Oh, they're nothing but beggars, you know, officered by shoemakers, butchers, barbers. Imagine our British troops being opposed by a rabble. That's all they are, you know, rabble. A rabble in arms.
3: That's what the English thought of us in 1776. I heard it with my own ears, sitting in the rotunda in Ranelagh Gardens in London. That was many years ago now. My name is Merrill, Captain Peter Merrill of Arundel in Maine. I've sailed my ships out of New England ports these many years now to South America and the Indies and around the Horn. The things I remember the best are the things that happened to me many years ago when I was still a young man, almost a boy. And those years I spent at the war with my brother Nathaniel, the war of the revolution against England. Now, as it happens, when the war started, I wasn't in America. I was with my brother Nathaniel on my father's business in London. There it was that Nathaniel first met that woman, Marie de Sabrevois, and fell under her spell. And there it was that I heard what those English lords and ladies thought of us. Of us Americans. A rabble, they called us. A rabble in arms.
4: Yes,
1: sir. Ebenezer Plant. Here. Jeremiah Small. Come
4: in, I'm coming.
1: Tom Bigfoot. You here, Tom? I'm here, Steve. Good. Doc means?
4: Sitting on a rum barrel. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Peter
1: <laughs> and Nathaniel Merrill. Yes? Yeah. You're right here, Mr. Nason. Alright, I guess that makes up the whole company. Cap Huff? Yep, Mr. Nason. As quartermaster of this detachment, you'll kindly inform the men of their requirements. Very good, sir. Each man enlisted for scout duty with the Continental Army expected to serve for a period of three years and required to quit self and be constantly provided with. Good firearm, ramrod, worm, prime and wire, brush, bayonet, scabbard, belt, cotton sword, tomahawk, or hatchet, pouch containing cartridge box, 15 rounds, 100 buckshot, tow for wadden, one pound powder, 40 balls for pit firearm, knack sack, blanket, canteen, or wooden bottle, capacity one quart, provision for three days. All right, men. You've heard what your requirements are as specified by the American Congress now assembled in Philadelphia. They haven't supplied you with a blessed one of these things. They don't have nothing to do with it. Now then get your packs on. We've got a long way to go and we're going fast. I want no stopping anywhere along the way to rest, nor to argue, or to steal. We want no stragglers, neither women nor boys. We've got to go fast and alone. Squad, attention! One, two, three, four, one, two, keep it set!
3: went so far wrong at that. That's just about what we looked like on that June morning, three months later, with all our folks gathered around to see us go. Barely two dozen of us in our homespun suits. No uniforms, no stores, no guns for the half of us, and no two alike. Just where we were going, none of us knew, nor for how long we'd be gone, nor what we'd do once we got there. On the morning of the sixth day, we reached the Richelieu River. The next day, going upstream in hired bateau, we passed some provision boats going north from Lake Champlain. The next day, our eighth, we reached St. John.
4: Hello! Who are you? Ghost from the state of Maine! Steve Nathan, Commander! Keep away from here! Hey! Hey, what are you talking about? What's happened to your supplies? A pack of half down to Philadelphia. Hold them up. Congress, when they call them down, A pack of half Say, brother, you better be careful how you talk about Congress. There's a law against it. We'll give enough up here a couple of hours before you start telling us how to talk about Congress. And wait until you see the generals that stand up here. Oh, women. That's what they are. I don't know what
1: generals you're talking about, mister. I'll tell you right now, Congress sent up Benedict Arnold and there ain't a better officer alive. Arnold? That's different.
4: Even if I am from Pennsylvania, I admit Arnold's the best officer up here. Yeah, maybe that's why Congress relieved him of his command. You mean Arnold ain't running things up here no more? I've got orders
1: to get these men through to General Arnold. I'm gonna get it done. But if we come ashore here, we have to land back a piece and dodge around you.
4: I guess you won't make it much worse. i ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> I tell you, Mr. Nason, it's no use. I've tried everywhere. They have no England of this type. These start. here
0: French farmers here around St. John... they won't, they won't, even, sell them.
4: Again. They won't even sell you
1: nothing for money. Uh, no. Since that bear retreat from Quebec, uh, the French won't touch Congress money. Let's well, move. do you blame them? No, sir, I no, don't. That's not where the paper is printed on. That's right. I've got an idea, Mr. Nason. You,
3: Nathaniel. What is it? I've got a little hard money, Mr. Nason. An English sovereign I saved from London.
4: Hey, you never should I think me if I go up, up to those
3: farmers across the river, I can pick up enough pork and cornmeal with that to get us to Montreal. I'll start now if you want me to. Good. The sooner the better. Buy what you can and get back here with it as soon as possible. Mr. Nason. Yes, Peter? I'll go with him, Mr. Nathan. I've got some hard money, too, and I can speak a little French. I'll go with him. Anyway, for bargaining, two is better than one. <laughs> We'd have a much better chance to find food if we'd go separately. No, no, I'll go with you, Antonio. I can get along myself, Peter. Now, I've been watching you. Hmm? I know it's in your mind. Before you left London, that Frenchwoman, the one you were seeing all the time, Marie de... Marie, Marie de what? what about her? She gave you a letter to deliver up here in Canada, didn't she? Didn't she? Well, what of it? Well, I have an idea that St. John's here is where you are to deliver that letter. What if it is? I think your mind is on that letter now more than it is on your duty. Which is to get food so our detachment can get through to Montreal. I know our business as where well as you live? live. Where does she live, this niece of hers? She lives in the big house with the cross, the other side of the river. Oh. So that's why you were so anxious to get away alone across the river. Well, then what of it? What's wrong in such a note? Nathaniel. I'm not letting you get into trouble here in St. John's or anywhere else. If anybody wants to know where you've been in this town and who you've seen, I propose to be able to tell them. But if you want to deliver your letter, hurry up about it, because I'm going with you.
5: What is
2: it? What do you want?
3: Is Ellen Phipps here? Ellen Phipps. I have a letter for her, from her aunt, from Madame de Sabrevois.
2: Ellen. Helene oh, Oui, Madame Sandorich. Sit down, my dear. Monsieur, from where did you bring this letter?
3: From London. We were in London until the end of March. She... I met Marie, Madame Saperbois, there.
2: Oh yes, yes, of course. She is the, uh, what you say, the guardian of this child. Uh, read the letter, Helene. Read it out loud for these gentlemen.
6: Um, my darling Ellen. I send you my love by a kind gentleman who may see you before I do. I shall come to you as soon as I return. Pray assure the good Madame Sandoge. That is my name, Major. Uh, Madame Sandoge. That all goes well here, but that I long to see you once more. Never again to leave you. Meantime, meantime I send you 8,000 kisses. Your loving aunt. Marie de Sebrevoir.
2: Ah, so kind she is. Always so good and kind. She said in her letter she'd come here to St.
3: John's when she returned. Do you know when that will be?
2: I do not know. You've had no news of her. This is the first news in many months. I'd like to leave a message for her. Could I write it here? But of course,
5: Monsieur. Well, there's no time if to, to... risk oh, a minute, This way, monsieur. And you, Elaine, you will entertain this gentleman
2: until we return. return. Yes, madame. Sit down, monsieur, before the
6: fire. You must be tired and cold. Isn't that better?
3: Thank you, thank you, kindly. Miss.
6: You're with the army, are you not?
3: Yeah, I'm afraid so.
6: Something I know so little about this terrible war. We hear sad tales here and, and at the convent.
3: Uh, what sort of tales?
6: About those poor Americans without food and without medicines. Everyone says it's hopeless what they're trying to do. Hopeless. That's what they say. But of course, I know nothing about such things. I. I only hope they can return safely to their homes and and to those who love them. How old are you? Seventeen. Why do you ask?
3: I have a sister back home. She's your age. But her hair is black and straight.
6: Oh, my. If I had straight hair, then it wouldn't tangle. There'd be no need to cut it off like this. I have no sister. No brother either, for that matter. Where's your mother? She died five years ago. Since then, I've, I've had nobody... Nobody except my Aunt Marie.
3: Madame de Sablevois?
6: Yes, the the one whose letter you brought me. She placed me in the same convent to which she went when when she was a young lady in Quebec. The nuns were very sweet to me, very kind, but... Mother's almost...
3: So you missed the convent?
6: It's my only home. It's it's possible to be homesick even for a convent if you have no other home.
3: Why did your aunt take you from the convent and send you down here in wartime?
6: I don't know. I... I think she thought it was, was an opportunity being allowed to come with the, with the sisters to work among these poor people here at St. John's.
3: Your aunt's an American, isn't she?
6: Oh, she wouldn't like to hear you say that. My aunt's the sister of a great French officer. Oh. He was killed last year by the Americans. You'll be sure to
2: give
3: it to us. I will. Oh, thank you. All right, Peter, I'm ready.
2: Uh, did elaine entertain you, monsieur, while we were Ye- gone?
3: Oh, yes, she-, she was most kind. We spoke of her family.
2: Her family? But she does not remember too much about it. She was very young. Uh,
3: Nevertheless, it was most interesting. Bye, madame. Goodbye, monsieur. And thank you again.
2: It is nothing, monsieur. I hope you will have a pleasant journey to Montreal. See two of you.
3: Bye, Ellen. Goodbye. Nathaniel. There's something strange about that place. And that girl. And that letter. Did you notice anything strange about that letter? No. It was a letter from an aunt to her niece that she's fond of. She was sending her love, that's all. No wonder that is all. Did you notice anything strange about the number of kisses she sent? No, of course not. Peter, you're talking nonsense. She sent Mm -hmm. 8,000 kisses. Do you remember what Lord Germain said that evening at Renelais? He said 2,000 Hessians, 1,000 regulars... And 5,000 Indians.
4: That makes 8,000.
3: The next day we were in Montreal. On every street were American soldiers, recognizable as soldiers only because they had bayonets and scabbards, most of them. ...or dented kettles banging against their hips... ...or the tattered remains of blankets made fast to their shoulders. But for that I would have taken them for beggars. They were the raggedest men I would ever seen anywhere. Shoeless, stockingless, many of them... ...with breeches seemingly made of dirty rags and ribbons. And they were searching for food, every one of them. And when we asked them where their companies were... ...they sometimes said they were hunting them... ...or that their enlistments had expired and they were trying to get home. Though most of them, I think, were lying... When we went on, they sunk away, treading into alleys and up at windows like hungry cats. We came to the Chateau Ramizet, Arnold's headquarters. General Arnold?
1: Well, Nathan, you've been away long enough. I trust the results have justified your little vacation. Is this all you got, one man? You tell me, this is the sole result of 2 months' holiday. Who is this man? General, this here is Captain Peter Merrill. Captain? Hmm. Captain of what? The Brigaresti, sir, of Arundel, 188 tons. Nathan... He's all right, General. Known him for years, him and his brother Nathaniel. Ah, uh, take your word for it. When were in St. John's? Last night. Who was there? General Sullivan come through with a new regiment? No, sir, but we had news of them. They were just leaving Albany on their way up. There wasn't anybody in St. John's except two lieutenants and nearly 300 men down with the smallpox. Smallpox? Smallpox? <laughs> if we could fill our habitat and cartridge boxes with smallpox, we could whip the world. Well, In a mess. We've got an army, thanks to General Washington, but... Thanks to Congress, it's got nothing to eat, nothing to wear, nothing to put in its guns. Men desert by the score. They say they've got to get their crops in. Here's letters and 40 officers begging leave to resign their commissions and go home. The best general we've got for this country outside of Washington, of course, is Schuyler. I asked Congress to send Schuyler up here to take command, but he was the best man for the place, so, of course, Congress sent him elsewhere. Is there anything we can do now, General? Yes, there is. Uh, Captain Merrill, you came as a scout with your shipman. I want you and uh, Huff here to go down to St. John's. Start tomorrow. There's a half-finished schooner there. Finish it. Then dismantle it and hold it in readiness to move south. We'll need it on the lakes if you ever have to retreat. I wasn't. Well, Nathan, you come back in the morning with the rest of your men. I'll have orders for you, too. Yes. And you pardon me now. I've got letters to write. Hmm. Letters to, to Congress. Letters to commissioners. Letters to tradesmen. I got into this war to fight. Now all I do is write letters. Good night, gentlemen. Well, what are you waiting for? I was going to ask you, General... My men haven't eaten today. Oh, you haven't, eh? Well, there's nothing but dried peas to be had around here. If you're hungry, I can give you an order for some of them. Dried peas. As <laughs> good a diet as any other on which to die for your
3: country.
5: I'd been in St. John two
3: days when the new troops from Albany began to arrive on their way north. The new troops. Four battalions of Pennsylvanians under General Sullivan in their bright new uniforms. Every man's musket tipped with a bayonet. Neat soldier's hair, properly clubbed and neatly tied, just so. I found myself wishing that Nathaniel could be with me to see these fine regiments. And it dawned on me that I might never have had such a wish unless, in my heart, there still remained certain doubts about him. And I began to think of that letter and of that woman... Marie de Sabrevoir.
2: Yes, what is it? What do you want? Madame. Oh, it's you, the American.
3: Yes, Madame. Can I see Miss Ellen, please?
2: But I do not understand. Have you not seen your brother lately? I mean. No, Madame.
3: Colonel Arnold detailed him to scout duty on the St. Lawrence. I haven't seen my brother for some days.
2: Oh, then that explains everything. Elaine is quite fond of your brother, you know. Quite fond. He stopped by here two days ago.
3: My brother was here two days ago? Oh, yes. Where is he now?
2: He is gone. I am surprised you did not know. And Elaine too. Ellen? Why, yes. He had a note with him for Madame de Sabrebois in Quebec.
3: Madame de Sabrebois in Quebec?
2: Yes. She has arrived from England some days ago. She was afraid from something she had heard, that there was to be fighting in these parts. So she sent Elaine to Albany. What? Alone? No, no, no. Your brother was kind enough to take Elaine to Albany. What? Personally. Why, Mr. Merrill, what is it? You look so surprised and so disapproving. I do disapprove. My brother's
3: in the American army and we're at war. If this gets known... Well,
2: they have been barely two days on the road. If you hurry after them, it is just possible that you will be able to catch up with them. (laughs) If you are very lucky...
3: was two weeks before I saw them, Ellen and my brother Nathaniel. And in that time, a heap of things had happened, things that you can read about today in the history books. How Sullivan's troops, those beautiful regiments that went up the river so full of hope, landed at Trois-Rivières, how their Indian guides stripped them and led them first into one swamp and then into another, how the English came up from nowhere and brought them by surprise. That's the thing nobody's ever been able to understand, how the English knew they were coming. But they did somehow, and burned their boats, and then shot them to pieces while they struggled in the swamps. I saw them come down the river, Sullivan Army, naked and starved and sick. And the army that had gone up that river ten days before, less than half was alive. And if it hadn't been for General Arnold and what he did then. I doubt if a single man of them would have escaped. Racing down from Montreal, cutting his way through the whole English army with a handful of men, to was he who planned the retreat. He alone who made it possible. I tell you, he was a great man. The best leader and the greatest general and the finest brains in the whole continental army. Except maybe for General Washington. That he trusted me and that I had some small share in his work is something I'm prouder of than anything that ever happened in my whole life, before or since.
1: Captain Peter Merrill at Crown Point from Brigadier General Arnold in command of the American Naval Forces on Lake Champaign. Hereby order to assemble ship the timbers at the southern tip of the lake at once. Find a sawmill at Kingsborough. Start getting more timbers, no loss of time. Lay down keels for ten row galleys. If we can get enough men, we'll build a 38-gun ship of frigate, then she'll kick up a dust. Everything depends on speed. Benedict Arnold, Brigadier General.
3: What's well, what's the matter, aren't you glad to see me? What are you doing here at Skinsburg? Why, I... Daniel, can't... where have you been? Did you go to Albany? Albany? I heard you were on your way there. What is there anything so wrong about that? Why other men get killed for that country? You go running pretty ladies' errands in Albany. Don't talk to me like that, Peter. Oh, will you, you, you Don't you, you
6: that a child. Peter? Nathaniel? Wait. Helen? Nathaniel. I told you your brother would be angry. It's all my fault. Perhaps if you let me explain, Captain Peter. Only well, you might say, how do you do to me first?
3: How do you do, Miss Helen? It's
6: better. Now I'll tell you everything, and and you'll find it very simple. My aunt, Madame de Sabrevois, wished me to go to Albany. She'd intended to take me there herself. And suddenly she became ill and couldn't go. She was very anxious for me not to delay, so she chose your brother as my escort. My brother had no right to
3: have sent himself from duty.
6: Perhaps that's why he was not very gallant. I never did see a gentleman less anxious to accompany a lady. But I
3: I thought I understood that Nathaniel... (laughs) Yes,
6: he's very devoted... But it's the aunt he loves, not the niece at all. And the aunt is still up in Canada.
4: Oh.
6: Why do you look so strange strangely, Captain Peter? Is anything the matter? No, no, no. Go on. Here's poor Nathaniel with a young lady on his hands. See how miserable he looks? He thinks it'll be two days, and already it's nearly two weeks. And here we are, still at the end of the lake, and no carriages, no horses, no means to take me to Albany. It's very sad, don't you think?
3: If I'd known that you were here when General Arnold was going down, I'd have sent you with him. With Arnold? Oh,
6: no, I wouldn't go with him. I've heard about him, an awful man, a a murderer.
3: Ellen. A ruffian who gives orders
6: to kill women and children. He's
3: nothing of the sort. Let me tell you that General Arnold is one of the. Peter, what's the good of trying to stand up for Arnold after what's happened? After what's happened? What? You mean after what he did to save our troops in Canada? You know he's no fit man to hold high rank in the American army. Everybody knows he's going to be arrested for what he's done. Arrested? Well, he certainly won't be allowed to hold a command. Not after Congress hears what he's done. Nathaniel, I mean, what are you talking about? What is this nonsense? Nonsense? Why, well, it's common knowledge. No, it's not. Well? It's not common knowledge. What do so well, you mean by oh. saying when Congress knows what he's done? I mean just that, Peter. When Congress learns about the things he stole in Montreal, there'll be trouble. The supplies for the army and the church treasures and the. Oh, and so but Congress so is going to hear that Arnold's a thief, is it? Who's it going to learn it from? How should I know? Somebody's bound to tell. Who told you? Why, everybody. Okay. Tell me one. I don't remember any particular one but yeah, I mean, Nathaniel, What you're saying, a lie. Do you understand? It's a lie. And I insist on you telling me who said these things. I'd rather not discuss it any further. And I tell you, you must tell me. Goodbye, Peter. See you later. Nathaniel. Nathaniel! Come back here! Nathaniel! It's a lie, I tell
6: you! Captain Peter? If you must get so excited and wave your arms so, you'd better let me take your coat and stitch it for you before it falls off. Thanks. And let me have it. And that's better. I have a needle and thread. It won't take me long. Sit down and rest. So, Miss um, Ellen,
3: perhaps you can answer a question that's been worrying me about yourself.
6: You've been worrying about me?
3: Yes, worrying and wondering, too. I was wondering why your aunt is so anxious to have you go to in now, in, in the middle of this war. Is there anything in particular you have to do there? Anyone you are to see? Have you any letters you have to deliver?
6: Letters? Why, well, yes, there was a letter. From your aunt? No, it was not from my aunt. It was from a friend of hers in Canada, she said, to, to a friend in Albany. Yeah,
3: you have this letter here?
6: No, only yesterday an officer came through that was riding to Albany. I, I gave it to him to deliver Do you
3: remember who it was addressed to?
6: No, I do not. I don't remember at all.
3: let oh, I see.
6: Captain Peter.
3: Yes, Alan? Do
6: you mind if now I ask you something? Something I've been wondering?
5: No, of course not.
6: I've been thinking and... And I'd like to tell you what I was thinking, because I, I don't wish to be mistaken. See if I'm right. From the first time I met you, Captain Peter, you now and then had a few thoughts about me, haven't you?
4: Yes.
6: Were they kind ones? Yes. Well, if you have kind thoughts of me, that, that means you like me, doesn't it? Yes. That's what I thought on here, and I want to be sure. Now I wish to tell you something else. The first time you came to the house at St. John's and sat beside me before the fire and told me about your sister, I thought you were very kind and and I've thought a lot about you ever since. Ellen... Oh, wait, I, I'm trying to make you understand something, something that I feel. I, there were other questions you asked me the first time you saw me. It, it seemed to puzzle you what I was doing there at St. John's in time of war. Yes, yes, it did. And just now you asked me certain other questions... Questions about my going to Albany. Yes. You don't want me to go to Albany, do you? Why?
5: Well,
3: you see, until I know just why your aunt is sending you to Albany, I'm... Well, yes, I'm I'm, afraid to have you go there. Afraid?
6: Afraid something may happen to me?
3: No, not exactly. Not in the way you mean.
6: Then what are you afraid of?
3: Ellen, something you innocently might say or do... It's not easy to say.
6: Go on, say it. Please say it.
3: Very well. I'm afraid that without knowing it, you might do something to hurt our cause. The American cause.
6: I see. Understand now. You think my aunt's a spy. That is what you think, isn't it? That's why you asked me all those ugly questions. Helen, I didn't mean to. If you suspect her, then, then you must suspect me, too. No, oh, no. If no, you no, can Ellen, think of wickedly of someone so dear to me, you must think me wicked. Ellen. No. Helen. No, Captain Peter, you and I can't be friends, and and I don't want to
5: see you again. Do you hear me? Ever, ever
3: again. To Brigadier General Benedict Arnold, in command of the American naval forces on Lake Champlain. Report from Captain Peter Merrill, in charge of pre-construction, Keensprint, New York. Three schooners, one sloop, six gondolas, four galleys launched and being fitted. We'll be ready for action within three weeks. Captain Peter Merrill,
1: Brigadier General Benedict Arnold. Good work, but English fleet will not wait three weeks. Expect entire American fleet ready for action within ten days.
3: Brigadier General Benedict Arnold, report entire American fleet now fitted awaiting orders.
1: Captain Peter Merrill, October 12, 1776. General orders the fleet. All ships will proceed to anchorage at Valcourt Island in the northern section of Lake Champlain, Immediately and without delay. Gentlemen, are we all aboard? Thatcher, the Washington Galley. Present. Warner, the Trumbull Galley. Present. Merrill, Congress Galley. Davis, Lee Galley. Dickinson, the Enterprise. Present. Captains. Grant of the Connecticut. Present. Honor of the Specify. Present. Simmons, of the Providence. Present. Reed of the New York. Present. Rice of the Philadelphia. Present. Grimes, New Jersey. Present. Summer of the Boston. Present. All right, gentlemen. Word has just reached me from the patrol boat revenge. An hour ago, the British fleet passed Cumberland Head. By now, they're abreast of us on the far side of the island. It's what I expected and figured on. They haven't observed proper precaution. They've overrated themselves. They haven't kept proper watch. So they're going by. Now, gentlemen, either we can let them go or we can engage them. We fight now. We fight against a fleet almost twice our own size, but we fight in our own position and at our own time. The uh, opportunity may not present itself again. Gentlemen, what's to be done? All right, gentlemen, they're
3: going by. Eh?
1: Well, what's your opinion, General? I don't have my opinion fast enough. What's yours?
3: If we fight them here and we're caught, we'll never get away. We've got a full-rigged ship that can outshoot anything we've got. On the lake, if we're sinking, we'll have a chance to haul out. If we fight here, we we'll are caught.
1: it. You want to fight them on a retreat, Mr. Davis.
3: Well, isn't it better to save some ship than not save any? That's true I agree enough. With that. All right, that's what some of you
1: think, and here's what I think. The object of this fleet isn't to save itself. The chief thing is to keep the British from getting to Ticonderoga and the Hudson in this campaign. To save the lake from them, for this year at least. What happens to us doesn't matter, so long as we keep them where we are. If luck's against us, which I trust under God it won't be, then we can talk of retreat, but not till then. My opinion. Let them come, by God. Let them stick their heads into this bottleneck. You, They'll never board us. They they can't do it. They've got to stay out in front of us. Swap shot for shot with us. If our men could only shoot her, they'd send us a tenth part of what we needed, with those mercenary rats on the seaboard and put all their sailors and all their money into privateers so there's nothing left for the defense of their country. We could fight off twice our strength in ships and guns. And yes, we can do it now. Now, now, right here on this anchorage. We can fight them all day, and with luck we can beat them off. If we can't, we'll find a way of delaying him again. Delaying him and delaying him till we save the lake. Gentlemen, I say fight him here and fight him now. What have you got to say? It appears we're all willing, General. Thank you, then, if there's no objection. Objections? Good grief, General. There ain't time to think of any. Council dismissed. General, what's that? Gunfire. I had an idea you'd agree with me, gentlemen. Ten minutes ago, I gave orders for our patrol boat to engage the enemy. Battle of Lake Champagne has begun. You ready, Mr. Gunner? Ready, sir. Fire!
0: To the Campbell Playhouse presentation of Rabble in Arms, starring Francis B. and Orson Welles in the role of Benedict Arnold. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Ernest Chapel, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming you back to the Campbell Playhouse. In a moment, we shall resume our presentation of Rabble in Arms. But first, I'd like to remind you that it wasn't really so very long ago that women had to make their own soup. It was usually a long and tedious task. But they knew that good soup is something that families enjoy having regularly. So they devoted long kitchen hours each week to tending the soup kettle. But then a change came, a change that has been welcomed in countless homes. One by one, women tried Campbell's soups and compared them with their own. They knew when they tasted them that these soups must have been made in the true home way. They saw how much the family enjoyed their fine flavor. And thoughtful husbands said to wives, With all you've got to do, I wouldn't spend time anymore making soup. Not when you can buy good soup like this. So tonight I'd like to ask you, are you still making soup at your house? If so, I'm sure it must be because you haven't tried Campbell's soups. Won't you do that? If you will, I believe your family will urge you, too, to give up making soups and serve Campbell soups for their convenience and fine flavor. And now we resume our Campbell Playhouse presentation of Rabble in Arms, starring Orson Welles and Francis D.
3: it then or in the hours that followed on what we were doing that day on lake champlain with the help of arnold's grim determination defended the life of the revolution the very existence of what we know as freedom if arnold had failed us or if we had failed him that day on valcour island i think that no american that hears these words would be in the position of life in which he finds himself today what we set out to do was achieved we delayed the english we delayed them till winter came. We delayed them so that for nine months at least, Ticonderoga and Albany and the Hudson Valley were saved. And what was Arnold's reward? They said of him that he lost the battle. They said of him that he left his men to drown. They called him down to Washington and had him court-martialed by a lot of small, mean men. And by the time they exonerated him, they put Gates and three more incompetent, intriguing generals over his head. For me, too, that was a sad winter. Nathaniel was gone. Drowned or taken prisoner in the sinking of the royal savage. And Ellen. Ellen was gone too. When I returned to Skeensborough, she'd vanished, whether to Albany or to the north among the enemy troops I couldn't discover. And then in the spring came the fall of Ticonderoga and the English advanced toward the Hudson Valley. There were times when the enemy camps were not more than a mile or two apart. In July, General Arnold returned to the army. you, Merrill? Yes, sir.
1: Come in. I want to talk to you.
3: It's good to see you back, General.
1: Thanks. Good to be among men again after six months around politicians and congressmen. Merrill, there's something I want to ask you. Yes, General? What's happened to your brother, Samuel?
3: I don't know, sir. He was on the Royal Savage, as you know, when she sank. Yes, I know. I have no idea, sir, if he's alive or dead.
1: You're not lying, are you, Merrill, to save your brother? Why,
3: sir, I don't understand. Well, I
1: seem to know a bit more about him than you do. I may have been out of service for a while, but my uh, sources of information have continued. See, I know that your brother is alive. Yes, sir. I also know that at this moment he's in the British camp.
4: You mean, sir... Have you ever heard of a
1: lady called Madame de Sabrevoir... Yes, I have, This It was an unlucky day for your brother when he became infatuated with that lady. Well, you know about it. I that, know that Marie de Sabrevois is the most successful English spy on this continent. She's the one who sent information to Congress that General Schuyler deserted his troops and that I stole money which was to be used for supplies. I have heard a thank for my court-martial. I also know that Marie de Sabrevois was the one who gave Congress false information that General Burgoyne was not marching down the Hudson. That had sailed to New York and Quebec. That's why St. Clair was left at Taconderoga with only thirty five hundred men. That's why we left it without firing a shot.
3: I promise you, sir, my brother had nothing to do with that. I swear you. I'm not saying me.
1: that he does, still. Still, you wouldn't like it said that your brother contributed to the downfall of his country, would you? What can I do, sir? Perfume, my boy. I happen to know that General Burgoyne came down from Canada three days ago. With him in the English camp are this lady and your brother. I mean... Men have been known to get from one camp to the other in the dark, Mr. Merrill... Not easy, but it's been done. Any day now the English will attack us, then it'll be too late. So, your last chance, save your brother. Go, Mr Merrow, I've got work to do.
3: Thank you, General. And good night. Good night.
4: Password. Niconderoga. Pass. Oh, who's there? Password. Ticonderoga. Huh? Pass.
2: Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Pete. Peter, what are you doing here? Hiding in that pit waiting for you to come by. You have to be mad coming into the movie camp
3: like this. Oh, getting in isn't hard. It's getting back. Nathaniel, I have to see you hopefully know they'll shoot you if they catch you, or they won't catch me. I'm Peter. How is it if you're a prisoner? You're here at Liberty. I haven't joined the British if that's what you're worried about. Yeah. And I'm not a prisoner on parole either, thanks to Marie's great kindness. Marie? Madame de Sabrevois. Mm. Everyone's been very good to me, thanks to her. I'm treated as a non-combatant. Officially, I'm a guest of General Burgoyne. What? You were a guest of General Burgoyne? Huh. Where did you spend the winter? Quebec. In the hospital? No, no. Marie nursed Oh. I see. She has a lot of power here on the English side. She and General Burgoyne... Yes, yes, I know. I suppose you've seen General Burgoyne and talked to him, eh? Oh, yes. Only last week he offered to let Marie and Ellen travel south with the army. Ellen, too? And so Marie persuaded him to let me go along as well. Oh, believe me, Peter, I've done nothing wrong or disloyal. Yes, yes, nothing I believe you. But there's one very bad side to being a guest of the English, as I see it. Anybody who finds out about it is liable to misunderstand your position. Who's going to misunderstand it? I haven't been able to write home. Nobody knows whether I'm dead or alive. After Burgoyne marches down the Hudson, there won't be anyone left whose wrong opinion makes any difference. Yes, but I suppose Burgoyne doesn't. Doesn't. What? March down the Hudson. Peter, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The war's over. We've lost. Nothing's over until the last gun's fired. Nathaniel, now listen to me. If we stop now, we're stopping before we have to. Arnold hasn't stopped in spite of the way he's been treated. I tell you, we wouldn't, either of us, feel right ever, I don't believe, if we stopped before we've tried everything. What is there to try? I want you to come with me. Now, Nathaniel. Tonight. Back to your own people. There's no way. There's no way. Yes, yes, there do. is. Remember that letter of Ellen's? The one that was to be delivered in Albany? Now, this winter, quite by accident, I met the officer to whom you gave that letter. Well, you know what was in it? It was a letter from Marie to a friend in Albany. No, no, it wasn't. In that letter were the names of 200 Albany Tories. Tories that could be counted on to join the British Army if it ever got as far as Albany. Now, that letter is now in General Arnold's possession. Now, listen. You go to your friend, Marie de Sabreville and tell her this. If we reach the American army safely before dawn tomorrow, it'll go no farther. If we don't, I wouldn't give a dollar for the lives of all 200. Go on.
4: Hurry. I'll wait you here.
6: Who is it? It's me. Helen. Nathaniel will be here in a moment with the safe conduct from General Burgoyne. But I, I'd have come before, but I knew she was watching Helen, me. Helen, you shouldn't be here. Oh, I knew you'd come back one day, Peter. When Nathaniel came to my aunt's tent just now, I, I knew then that you were here. I, I came just as soon as but I it, could. It's not
3: safe for you here. You must go back, Helen.
6: Oh, I had to see you. The last time I saw you, I, I behaved very badly. I'm sorry. No,
3: no, it was my fault. I shouldn't
6: No, Peter. You were right. You were right about my aunt. She's what you said she was. I know that now, and worse. She has been kind to me always, always. Oh, well,
3: she used you. You loved and trusted her, and she, she took advantage I, of it.
6: I know that too now. That's why I won't stay here any longer, or among people who fight you and your country, Peter. I want to go into the colonies, and your, into your colonies. I want to leave here tonight.
3: Yes, but, Ellen, where would you go in the colonies? You haven't any relatives, have you, on this side?
6: No, I have no one. No one except you, Peter. Me? You no. Know, remember at Gainsborough, Peter, you... You told me that you felt kindly about me and, and I told you that I felt how I felt about you. What I didn't tell you, Peter, is, is that from the first day I saw you, from the first day you came and sat beside me by the fire at St. Jean's and talked to me, I've I've thought always of you, only of you. Ellen. Ellen Oh, Peter, I love you. I love you.
3: English attacked, join moving south and east down the Hudson Valley, trying to break through to the sea. That he didn't break through that day, that the war of the American Revolution was not ended there and then was due to one man and one man alone, Benedict Arnold. I was there, and I know. All his life, Arnold was a performer of prodigies, a man who saw how to do and freely risked his life to do what other men said could not be done. Yet when it was all over. And the English was stopped. Arnold, his horse shot dead under him. A bullet in his leg and deprived once more of his command was lying in the hospital.
1: Charlotte, Impleas. And a doctor among you know what he's doing how he does it. Why don't you learn your trade so you don't have to spend half your life guessing, guessing, guessing,
4: quacks. Quacks, that's what you are. Get out, get out, General. Get out.
3: Well, our turn now. Peter, you go in. Ellen and I will
6: stay out here. No, we'll all go in. It's better to face a man when he's angry. And his anger can't last forever, and, and it grows less, and then he becomes kind. Go on, Peter, knock.
5: All right.
4: Stay out, stay out. Don't come in here. Who the blazes, is
3: it? Peter Merrill, sir.
1: Merrill, oh, come in, come on in. Oh, fine, you finally came to see me, huh? I
3: didn't know you were here, General, until this morning. Where were you hit, sir? In the leg, and I wish it had been my heart. If it hadn't
1: been with that bullet, I'd have driven for going into the sea. I know you would, sir. Uh, Gates, that dressmaker's dummy, will let him get away, and we'll have to start all over again. Only
3: only this time, maybe I won't be there. Well, what is it, Mr. Merrill? Who are these people? This is Ellen Phipps, sir.
4: Uh,
1: Done, Miss Phipps. You'll excuse this uh, disarray, ma'am. It's not often we find such... Uh, gems of loveliness in this part of the world and this is my brother nathaniel so this is nathaniel and yes sir so he was not a prisoner nathaniel merrill remained within the british lines during an entire campaign that's his excuse for that i'll not
3: make excuses for himself well, and he will make none for himself my brother believed what was told him by the woman he loved he believed that the cause of the colonies was hopeless and that the sooner the American people knew it and stopped fighting, the better it would be for them.
1: Hmm. Uh, you won't believe that? Yes. And yet last night you returned to the American camp. You fought in today's battle. I wanted to be with my own people.
3: Hmm. My brother. If he was beaten, I wanted to be beaten too. Hmm. Sir, Nathaniel made a mistake. A terrible mistake. He knows that now. Sir, if he's given a chance, he's as valuable a man as you can find anywhere. Valuable to you and to the American cause. That's what you think, is it? I know it. I was never so sure of anything in my life. Uh, uh, what, what do you think, miss?
6: I agree with Peter, General Arnold.
3: You hear what they
1: say, Nathaniel. From now on, do you think we can count on you? I do, sir. Very well, then. it, leg. Give that field desk, somebody. Get that field desk, miss. Uh, open it up and hold it so I can write on it. That's it, Thank you. I uh, have the impression, ma'am, that uh, you're in love with Nathaniel Merrill, or am I mistaken?
6: I care for him very much, and his brother.
1: Uh, His brother, did you say? Yes, sir. His brother? Hmm. Perhaps he has more than one. Which of his brothers do you mean? Not this one here, I trust. I'm, I'm sure you could never mean Captain Peter Merrill. That's impossible, of course. Impossible.
6: There's nothing impossible about it, General Arnold. Hmm? If I didn't care for Peter, that would be impossible.
4: Oh. <laughs> Captain Peter
1: Merrill. You're a ladies' man, after all. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> well, here you are. How'll this do? Valcour Island, October 11th, 1776. The day we fought the English on Lake Champagne. Uh, Nathaniel Merrill, scout, Captain Nason's company of scouts, is ordered on detached duty at his own discretion. Till this order is rescinded, signed Benedict Arnold, Brigadier General. Uh, Order rescinded... What date October 18th. Order rescinded
3: October 18th,
1: 1777, signed Benedict Arnold, Major General. Shameful forgery, but I think it's what you want. Here you are, Mr. Merrill. Thank you, sir. I can't tell you. Nonsense. Nonsense. Now, I suppose you want your orders. Well, here they are. All able-bodied scouts formerly under my command will go south. There won't be any fighting here for a while. Go south and report to General Washington. What I hear, he needs every man he can get. The man you can be proud to fight with. As to you, Captain Merrill, I see you're wounded. Oh, General. Silence.
3: Only a scratch.
1: Silence. Computer Merrill. Place you on the sick list. You're ordered to return to your home for a period of three months to recover your health. Counting on you, young lady, to see, uh, that he does it. So. Oh, General. Oh,
6: General Arnold. I'll be oh, be off
1: with you. be off you. My leg's playing the devil, me You think all this talk has improved it? Uh, or my temper? Or the state of the country? Be off with you, all of you. Goodbye, Confantry. Goodbye. Send my order to me as you go. Go on, all of you. Get out. Get out.
3: That was the last time I ever saw him. The last time I heard his voice. That was many years ago. Of all that happened later, I know nothing. Or of the deed that caused him to be branded traitor, forever doomed to be cursed by the mass of his countrymen. But knowing Arnold and the sort of man he was, and the battles he planned, and his hold on the hearts of those who fought under him and beside him, I have this to say, and I say it gladly. Benedict Arnold was a great man, a great general, a great mariner, the most brilliant soldier of the Revolution. He was my chief in that war, and the bravest man I
5: ever knew. <laughs>
0: You have been listening to the Campbell Playhouse presentation of Rabble in Arms, starring Orson Wells and Francis D. In just a moment, Mr. Wells will return to our microphone. But first, right now, a word, if you please, to the mothers listening. Every mother knows that plenty of vegetables are a necessity for growing, active young people of all ages. And wise mothers are glad to know that in Campbell's vegetable soup, there are fifteen different garden vegetables lavishly mingled in a stout, invigorating beef stock cooked just right for flavor and nutrition. Little wonder that mothers have come to regard this vegetable soup as almost a meal in itself. Always a comfort to mothers, too, is the way the youngsters take to Campbell's Vegetable Soup. Its very look is a bright invitation to the children to come on and eat. And because it's so delicious, they like to have it often. So I ask you, mothers, this. Do you keep Campbell's Vegetable Soup on your pantry shelf regularly? And now, here is Orson Welles. And here, ladies
1: and gentlemen, beside me at the microphone, is one of our favorites on the Campbell Playhouse. This evening's guest is Francis D. Good evening. Francis, I'm glad you kept your word of uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we're all glad you've managed to come back to us as soon as you have. Everybody who heard it, I know, remembers your fine performance as Lotta and come and get it.
6: You know, Austin, I wanted to tell you something about that. You, you remember you gave me that lovely triangle with which you called the men to dinner and come and get it?
1: I, uh, I do indeed. Mr. Essman, Mr. Harry Essman, have you an equivalent to <laughs> the lovely triangle? <laughs> Sounds like a fire engine, but is that a uh, reasonable <laughs> facsimile? You said you uh, <laughs> wanted to use it, as I remember, to call your two boys. To eat their... Um, their
6: Campbell soup. Their, uh,
1: thank you so much, Ms. Yes, D. and uh,
6: would you believe it? That triangle has disappeared. I, I think it was too fascinating for some it. of the neighboring youngsters. Uh,
1: you were wondering?
6: Uh, um, you were wondering. I was wondering.
1: <laughs> Go ahead and wonder.
6: <laughs> I was wondering if there was anything on this broadcast you could give me to take its place.
1: Well, uh, would they come if you played Yankee Doodle on a drum and fight?
6: Well, I'm afraid you don't know, little boys. Or maybe you do. The next time, they'll want a symphony orchestra.
1: A small enough <laughs> price, Francis, believe me, for a performance, and believe me, again, as entirely as, as entirely as well as yours was tonight. Thanks again, and come back again.
6: Thank you, Austin. I will.
1: Good night. Francis D., ladies and gentlemen, in her more serious moments, was Ellen Phipps. Pretty wonderful Ellen Phipps. And Captain Peter Merrill was pretty wonderfully played by Mr. George Calouris. Edgar berrio was Nathaniel Merrill. Captain Mason was Mr. Robert Warwick. Huff was Richard Baer. Guy Rep was Edward Donahue. Richard Wilson was Scout Fleck. And William Adeland was General Adlib. Madame Senorge was Georgia Bacchus. And, uh, Benedict Arnold was your obedient servant. The music tonight was inspired by and was contemporary with the American Revolution. And was authentic, or so Mr. Bernard Herman claims, who conducted it, as always. And now, as to next week. Next week. We bring you our own radio version of one of the truest and finest plays yet written in America. Craig's Wife by George Kelly. It's a personal enthusiasm of mine which I hope next Sunday we can persuade you to share. A Pulitzer Prize play, a study dramatic and penetrating of a type of woman, unfortunately... Not as rare as she ought to be. Uh, unfortunately, uh, not as rare as she ought to be. And a player, I'm pleased to announce, I was right. An actress whose talents are as rare as they come. Another old friend of yours and one of the supremely gifted ladies of the theater world. Miss Faye Bainter. Miss Faye Bainter will be recalled by Campbell Playoffs listeners for her sensitive and searching portrait of Mrs. Dodsworth in our own recent broadcast of the Lewis novel. Moviegoers have seen her very lately in our town, the United Artists Picture, and her newer pictures, Young Tom Edison and RKO's Bill of Divorcement, are eagerly awaited. It's impossible to think of anybody better for Craig's White. In fact, it's almost impossible to think of anybody any better. And until then, until next Sunday night, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us, Remain, as always, obediently yours.
0: The makers of Campbell's Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we present Craig's Wife with Faye Bainter as our guests. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed tonight's Playhouse presentation, won't you tell your grocer so tomorrow when you order Campbell's Vegetable Soup? This is Ernest Temple saying thank you and good night.